Okay, thank you and uh, welcome to everybody for joining us for another in the series of uh, Jane Irrigation's virtual lunch and learns. I'm Richard Restucia, Vice President of Water Management Solutions, and I'm really excited about the uh, presentation today on combining Jane Irrigation technologies to amplify individual benefits, right? It's, it's uh, using individual components gets you uh, so far, but when you start to combine the technologies uh, you really create some synergies, and it's exciting to see that. The other thing I really like about today's presentation uh, is that we talk a lot about uh, uh, th theoretical applications of irrigation and what's happening in the perfect world. Uh, what Michael Pippin's done today is uh, gone through and, and kind of shown us a few case studies where uh, there's been challenges or problems and how did they uh, problem solve these challenges and how did they create these solutions and so it's a lot more practical education today which uh, which I really enjoy and then the other thing I really enjoy about this presentation today is um, Michael Pippen the presenter you know Michael grew up in uh, in agriculture it's uh, in his blood grew up on a family farm and then used that experience to uh, enhance and, uh, and amplify his career uh, in irrigation. You know, he's been in irrigation really all his life uh, and is really passionate about agriculture and helping other growers. And then, uh, and then I also know, you know, he, he worked as uh, the chair of the uh, uh, Irrigation Association uh, Certification Board. And uh, so not only has he been working for himself and helping the companies he's been paid to, 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 to help, he has also helped uh, many other people in irrigation uh, as a courtesy. And uh, so I, I really appreciate that when people are just helping other people. So uh, with that, I'm gonna welcome Michael. And Michael, uh, gee, you've got the best Zoom wallpaper I've ever seen, right? So uh, where are you today? Uh, where, where are you broadcasting from there? Well, Richard, I appreciate the kind introduction there, and I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, a little bit of what I've learned in the last couple of years with some growers combining these technologies. And, and right now, I'm at our family farm, which is in the northeast corner of Louisiana, right off the Mississippi River. And so that's where, where we're uh, social distancing from today still, and uh, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm broadcasting for them. So I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to share a little bit, and I have been really fortunate to work with and for uh, a lot of really talented people in the agriculture and specifically the irrigation uh, space here. And, and that's, you know, we're going to, we're going to show off a little bit of that um, uh, today and the next 20 or 30 minutes. But I, I really like the term you used there earlier, Richard, in synergies. I, I was kind of struggling for the terminology I wanted to use to focus on, you know, really the idea of using different components, uh, improvements in your system and how, how well that is, but really, how putting them together, you get more value than any one of them individually. So, um, so I, I appreciate the word synergy there. I was looking for that all week. So um, I like that idea. Um, what we are going to do today, I'm also going to plug some of the, the other webinars that we've done over the last couple of months. A lot of these are really, really well, really, really well done. And um, I learned a lot from them. We have some talented people that we've worked with and that I work um, you know, co-workers that have put some of these on. And I encourage you to go back and look at some of these. If you haven't seen them, we post them on our, on, on YouTube, or you can just Google search webinar Jane, or you can go to our website, Jane's with a S J A I N S U S A.com backslash trainings. And you can get into the weeds a little bit more with some of these topics I'm going to cover, but I'm going to try to hit the high points. And if you have any questions, we'll have some opportunity for that as well. 
But uh, a few weeks ago, really almost a month ago, Michael Darwinko, which is one of our uh, landscape uh, sales uh, managers, and he's been a tremendous amount of time out in the field uh, as, a, as a landscape contractor, looked at the components of a drip irrigation system. And while he's, his applications were kind of, you know, landscape focused more than mine today being ag focused, the, the components really do the same thing. They serve the same purpose. In a lot of ways, they, they look a lot alike, right? They're, they're similar and they're definitely similar in their, in their necessity. And so we talked or he talked a lot about the importance of filtration and, and why we do that and how to protect our investment with the filtration and some other components. And so that's going to be one of the technologies that we look at today, how we improve filtration on, this, on these farms that I'm going to discuss in a moment. Uh, really, the second technology that I'm going to sh uh, showcase today is something that Kevin Stewart, our ag sales uh, manager, uh, talked about uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, and, and why does Jane produce four different drip tapes, right? We produce three different styles of drip tape, and within one style, we pr pr produce two different product lines. So, you know, really four different drip tapes that we produce. And, and Kevin went into the details of, of why, right? There's particular... Um, attributes that each one of them offer uh there are you know particular applications that they that they uh fit better or worse in and uh, we're going to talk about one of those today chapin deluxe in a little bit more detail but again go back and we we can you know you really should look at those and, and kind of get a little bit broader application of drip takes when you get a chance and then finally the third piece that we're going to talk about today is um our technology piece and we've had several uh, presentations um, around our Jane Logic uh, product line, which is our monitoring and control product line, remote monitoring and remote uh, field uh, control. Uh, and we've talked about the software, how it works, and what it's purpose for, what its applications are. We've also talked a little bit about our NDVI uh, satellite ET calculator and, and some of the satellite imaging and how you can use that in conjunction with ground truth field monitoring and control and how that all goes together to help us really understand the when do we need to irrigate and, and how much. So th those are going to be kind of the three technologies that we put together and really discuss around a group of growers that I've gotten to know over, you know, really probably close to a 10 year period when I was with distribution and then now um, in manufacturing. Um, these guys are, are located in what we call the boot hill of Missouri. And Richard's first question to me is, where in the world is the Boot Hill of Missouri? And so this is the Mississippi River right in the central U.S. Uh, Missouri, kind of this southeast corner of Missouri. And then here, Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Louisiana. If you look at where I'm at, I'm kind of in this crook right here where you see the river jogs to the east of Mississippi side and back down. That, that's kind of where I'm at right today, right in this, this northeast corner here. If you see, to kind of explain to what these farms look like, you can see the light shaded area of this Mississippi River Delta, right? When it turns green, obviously those are trees. Um, this, this light shaded area is, is uh, the Mississippi River Delta. It, um, not all of it, obviously, uh, but a majority of this is, is really, uh, really profitable, good soil. It's uh, sandy, sandy loam. It, it gets pretty sandy in some places, really sandy, almost as sandy as some of the stuff we see in Florida. And then obviously it gets heavier towards you get towards the the the, the woods or maybe a bayou or a slough, but in general it's kind of sandy, sandy loam soil, very flat, almost no elevation change. Um, and you can see it here it stays kind of in this Arkansas area, and then it scoops scoops way in here into Mississippi, and then here in Louisiana as it goes down into the Chafalaya Basin. So big big area here. Um, a lot of commodity crops are primarily produced here. 
this area here in Arkansas is kind of this, this rice area that you see, but right around this uh, river is where we primarily grown cotton. And uh, even though the market, like Richard and I was talking about previously, is not really great, and here behind me you see a lot of soybeans that once was cotton ground. Um, here in this Boot Hill in Missouri, they still grow a lot of cotton. That's what these producers primarily do. I'd say um, our average producer that we're working up there grows several thousand acres, you know, two, three, four thousand acres, and most of them are are two generations farming, you know, dad and son, and um, they primarily grow commodity crops, cotton, corn, soybeans, a little bit of rice. But what they do that's interesting is they say, well, how did Jane get involved? These guys have produced watermelons for quite a long time. They've used it as a rotational crop. I don't know how they got started growing watermelons in this Boot Hill of uh, Missouri area or this northern Arkansas area right here. But one of the main reasons for it is they're kind of an in-between market. They are a later watermelon, late summer watermelon market. So right now, or the last, well, kind of that uh, last couple of weeks, you know, we're picking really heavy watermelons in Florida and South Georgia to try to beat Memorial Day, right? Everybody wants a big Memorial Day watermelon. And so uh, that's the Georgia and Florida market is really planted to try to supply that. And as you move up the East Coast, uh, there's really a gap between some of this Georgia watermelons. And before you get up into the bigger watermelon producing states like Indiana or the Del Mar Peninsula over on the East Coast, Missouri kind of sits right there in that middle point and for where they can produce melons and they can get in before Labor Day, which is also kind of 4th of July Labor Day is, is kind of their, their typical market. So it's, it's, a, it's a great crop in terms of market, kind of an in-between side, uh, in-between market, um, but it also is a great rotational crop for what they're doing. So instead of pulling out, you know, hundreds of thousands of, well, not hundreds, but individually, you know, they probably pull out, could, could rotate or need to rotate thousands of acres into a different commodity crop. They can take several hundred acres of watermelons and move them through their fields um, as the season, you know, as the seasons go. And so that's kind of how these growers look. Uh, that's where they're located. This is a really kind of a typical field that we're working with, which is a, you can see the center pivot line here. These are big fields. Um, this one's kind of irregular shaped, and I, and, I, and I think it shows a good example of what we're trying to do, where this is the commodity crop planted. Let's call it cotton. He's got a quarter of a mile pivot. This is a half a mile by a half a mile. It doesn't have all this field, but a half a mile by a half mile. So it's a 160-acre field, and he's got a quarter of a mile pivot that covers this whole whole section. So if you want to think of this as kind of four quadrants, those are basically 40-acre quadrants. So he would grow cotton on this one or two years, maybe three, and then he'd say, well, I'll maybe put this 60 acres right here into watermelons and he may grow that for a couple of years and then he may move over here and plant this 40 or 60 acres or here or go to a different field you know not not ever really producing thousands of acres of watermelons but rotating through several hundred and if the market conditions are right he may move from 160 to 260 or from 250 down to 150 based on the the markets that were following him or preceding him that's kind of their growing practices uh, they used a 5 8 high flow drip tape on these uh, systems and they kind of had these movable trash pumps that they moved around and very briefly to talk about our water source we use a lot of well water a lot of a lot of groundwater but it's not coming out of an aquifer we being so close to the river and, and other tributaries not just the Mississippi River uh, we've got good water at about 40 feet uh, we have some some wells we'll look at here in some pictures and they may be thousands of gallons a minute at in less than a couple hundred feet um, so we've got plenty of water. What they would do is they'd make these small casings, you know, two, three, maybe four inch, but a lot of two inch casings, kind of put a little trash pump on it and a small screen filter. And they would tie onto these sections, these, you know, 40, 60 acre sections, and they would irrigate them. And you say, well, that, 
doesn't sound very sophisticated, and, and maybe it wasn't, but it was very portable. It allowed them to react very quickly to the market conditions. If they need to plant an extra 40 acres, they could go drop one of these wells in very inexpensively, grab their components, and go, right? So while it might have been the most sophisticated system, it worked and saved their needs very well, and they were very profitable doing this. Um, but what was causing the problem? So why are we here if they were doing things that, we, that uh, were, were working for them? And the biggest thing that I think kind of got us engaged here uh, with the dealer and then kind of bringing, bringing me in later on was their water quality was poor. We have a lot of water in this Mississippi River Delta, you know, thousands and thousands of gall gallons a minute, very shallowly. But the water quality is pretty bad. Uh, a lot of iron in the water uh, that is suspended and can precipitate into our emitters, clogging things up. And if you had an established well with a metal, metal, metal casing, we have a lot of iron bacteria that grows in the off-season that can really gum things up, right? It's, pretty, it's, it's not great water, right? Let's just put it that way. So that was causing a lot of problems. And also the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the long row lengths were causing a lot of problems. If you look at that previous slide where they had those quarter of a mile runs, um, that's not necessarily too long for a watermelon production um, uh, field. Uh, but with a 5-8 tape product, they were having a lot of problems running these links, right? And the 5-8 high flow is just kind of something they fell into, nothing necessarily specific about the selection, just kind of a common product there. So they're having problems really with a lot of lay flat and a lot of expense that way. And the crop rotation was also giving them a little problem. You go, well, what a, well the crop rotation is good, right? And, and it is. And from, a, you know, from a growing perspective, it was very good for them. Um, but what it really challenged them with is they may have a field that they've never put watermelons in. And next year it might move. And so they were always trying to learn how this drip system worked with their watermelon field because they were always moving. They had some that they stayed in, you know, that were really good. And, and for whatever reason, you know, they, they like to keep those in there for multiple years. But a lot of times they're one or two years and then moving. So they're always trying to figure out how in the world to water this stuff because it was new fields, new cultivation practices. And then obviously the labor of setting up all these pumps. And, you know, they've got a lot of pumps, a lot of zones, a lot of things, and, and that's just, that, that's just a, a lot of pain. So, um, Michael, we've got a whole host of questions right now. So uh, if it's okay, okay. I, that was a great introduction, sure. and uh, it, uh, it created a few questions. Um, first question uh, we, we have is, uh, so they're irrigating with center pivots and drip. Uh, is at the same time, is that correct? Can you kind of expand on that a little bit, please? Not always. Um, yes, in some cases, you would see some watermelon production that had no drip on it, and they just ran a plastic mulch and a center pivot over it. Um, there would also be some furrow irrigated fields here where there was no pivot. Um, I would say, by and large, they drip irrigate their melons. Um, when they typically didn't drip irrigate their melons was when they got a late, late, late contract. Market conditions and say, hey, can you plant another 40 acres? and they didn't have time to get plastic or drip tape or anything set up, and they go find a pivot corner and drop it in. So in general, no, they're doing almost all irrigation with their drip, drip system, although there are a few outliers. Yeah, okay. And then typically, I mean, this example is 160 acres. Uh, what's the average size farm there? What, what, what are people working with? I would say most of these commodity crops are in excess of 2,000 acres. Uh, they're probably a lot of these guys are in the five to 10,000 acre range. So they're growing major acreage as commodities. I would say from a watermelon production there, most of them are under, they definitely all would be under 500 acres of watermelon production. Most of them would be around the hundred to 200 acre. And there's still a lot of small growers, kind of a co-op there. There's a lot of 50 acre growers here. 
Uh, so, so it's not a huge, huge, huge market. And most of the individual growers are probably growing, you know, less than 10% of their crop is, is watermelon. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, for the irrigation systems, uh, everything is filtered. Is that correct? Or that, that's correct. Now their center pivot stuff, they probably would not. Uh, we'll go into a little bit about some of the chemical treatment there and the, and the iron bacteria, but um, their overhead systems probably do not have any filtration on it. All their drip systems should. <laughs> they, they've, been, they've been told they need them. But yeah, yeah, especially what we're working on now, it's all filtered. Yeah, so uh, I raised my eyebrows a little bit there when you say should, right? We always say that. Um, lots of times <laughs> the percentage is much lower. Are half uh, using filters? Is it more than half, less than half? I would say more than half. Uh, most of these guys have been around the, the drip system enough and with the water quality problems they have, uh, most all of them, including myself, have learned my lesson without adequate filtration. And so I would say by and large, these guys are filtering uh, of, some, of some sort. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you, Michael. That catches us up. Thanks. Good. No problem. So we talked about what was causing the problem with the systems that were, were, were actually relatively effective and some of the issues they were having. So, so what was our solution here, right? And the first thing I think that mostly we wanted to address, and really the growers wanted to address, they knew it was a problem with this clogging, right? They're having a lot of water clogging problem here. And we can spend all day talking about filtration, but there's a couple of options here. And we're kind of growing these systems together. So um, I'll, I'll definitely pause for a few questions at the end here. But we're moving them off of these trash pumps and trying to get into larger systems that we can get just better filtration, right? A better filtration option. And, and also, you know, get away from some of these small trash pumps and, small, and add in some of these labor savings. So what we, we proposed here, uh, and I'm using the collective we, we have a dealer that's involved in this and doing, doing all this design work, but we, we, we added on to this um, center pivot well here, and we made a, a, a manifold and used our James Spin Clean screen filter. Um, another good option for this would have been media filter. Um, we did not use the media filter for a couple of reasons. Primarily, well, it's got a it's pretty high in, input cost, right? There, media filters are expensive. From a filtration standpoint, you could definitely make the argument from just filtering that they're the best option for this application on almost any application. But with these guys moving them around a lot or maybe having to add acreage pretty quickly, having a media filter would almost have to be on a, on a trailer, not on a slab. So that presents its own, um, own problems. And also we're talking about watermelons here. We're talking about 90 days worth of irrigation. So the other, um, you know, 250 days a year, it's sitting under the barn. So to have a trailer in the way, sitting up, maintenance, these are not things that are used very long, very short growing season. What we decided to go with uh, was a, a screen filter. And we used this screen filter and sized it so that we could basically have the largest screen element that the system would allow. Screen filters kind of have a high flow and a, and a low flow range. They have a range that they operate most optimally at. The high flow range is really for our screen filter, really kind of built around uh, friction loss, how much uh, pressure loss or pressure differential you have across that screen. If you get too much, it could blow it out, out the screen, right? Just pushing too hard against that screen. The low range of that filter is really not so much based on the screen itself, but it's about how to keep the water moving through this screen element at a high enough velocity. We put uh, what we call a spin plate in the top of this uh, element. It forces the water to cyclone inside this element, creating a lot of turbulence, uh, disrupting and breaking the debris off of the screen when we open this valve and dump it off the ground. If the water is going too slow in here, like if your filter was too big, 
we wouldn't have enough velocity, wouldn't stir things up good enough, and we wouldn't get the debris out. So we wanted something that was economical. We wanted the most surface area for our screen, the most capacity that we could for the dollar. But we also didn't want something very portable and would flush itself better than pulling that big old element out and trying to scrub it by hand. So in a scenario here, we didn't always get to, to this, but you know, if I make a, an example of where you had a six, uh, like a 300 gallon a minute system, the old setup with a trash pump was probably less than 100. These are like 300 gallons a minute. Instead of taking a four inch filter, you can see that 284 to 365 and putting no spin plate in it, uh, or putting the spin plate and, not, and leaving all the holes wide open, we might would go up to a six inch filter and plug some of these holes. Plugging the holes creates the velocity, keeps everything working right on the inside, but now we're using a bigger six-inch element versus a smaller four-inch element. And that's I picked that out and kind of made that example up, but but as far as, you know, the exact, that, that's kind of the goal. Not every one of them get to that. You know, they might be a little outside of it, but you get an idea. You know, you can do the same thing jumping from a six to eight or a three to a four. We're trying to get the most screen element that we can, the most capacity, but also not um, – you know, not lose that cyclonic action. So we went with a screen filter, very, you know, economical for the acres, um, better flushing to get those things cleaned out quicker. And we also, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about chemical injection here. You can see their chemigation check valve. You know, we talked, we, we uh, added, put, put additives in the well to try to kill some of that iron bacteria and flush that out prior to the season. But that was kind of the solution for the, for the filtration side of it. Uh, really going in conjunction with that, was a drip tape that was clog resistant. Now these guys knew, and I knew as well, that the filtration was probably their biggest hindrance on the clogging, right? Uh, but we can also add some drip tape technology to try to amplify that or uh, to reduce the clogging uh, risk um, even further. And so what they were using was a 12, uh, was a 5 eighths diameter, 12 inch high flow tape, somewhere around this 0.4 or 0.5. And, and 12 inches is a great, it's kind of the multi-tool of drip irrigation on vegetables, right? It pretty much works on everything. Uh, there may be places that it's better or worse, you know, it could be wider or narrow, but you can take a 12 inch drip tape and put it on just about anything and, and do well. So we weren't so worried about the 12 inch, but we wanted to get off that flow rate, that high flow rate and run these longer rows. If you look at a 5.5 or 0.4 gallon a minute per hundred foot, which would be a high flow and a 5H chapin model, your run length that we recommend is somewhere between five and 600 feet, right? So if you go back and think to our model, you know, we would have to feed two directions, lots of laterals, lots of stuff going on. By going to a seven eighths product and a still a 12 inch and a 0.25 gallon a minute, we can run all the way out past a quarter of a mile length and still keep our uniformities where we want them. Now, our designers have to do a good job of keeping the friction loss balanced in the main line, but as soon as we do that, then we can achieve some really high uniformities all the way past from one of these fields to the other. So that was super important. We improved the uh, uniformity. With the improved filtration, we were able to lower this flow rate. The lower the flow rates have smaller holes, right? And we stayed with the high flow because we wanted big holes because we're having trouble clogging. Filtration is solved. We can go to a lower flow rate. Now we can do the larger diameter and run the longer runs. And I'd say kind of the last little piece of technology we stepped in here was going from our Chapin BTF, our standard Chapin, to our Chapin Deluxe. Chapin Deluxe has this continuous filtration inlet. I call it kind of a primary filter inside of the drip tape. So once we go through our spin clean filter that's sized correctly, then there's still kind of this secondary line of defense where this whole 
continuing filter inlet can catch material and before it can make it through here and get to the really the primary filtration path into the emitter flow rate. So you've got yet another filtration, again, trying to mitigate that clogging risk. So we've added in this secondary filtration uh, feature. And there's really, in this style of tape, there's really nothing like that in the industry that has this uh, primary filtration track to, to reduce that. So wow, so you get a lot of, a lot of peace of mind from having all that uh, filtration right in your tape. Right. I mean, a lot of it is, is risk mitigation on filtration, right? You could spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and, 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 you know, maybe that's the quote unquote best filtration. But if you don't have the economic piece in place, right, then it just doesn't work in the field, right? You always have to keep your eye on the economic piece. And the, and the, the deluxe is a premium uh, product and it does have a premium price. But for these growers, uh, paying that extra few dollars, uh, was, was worth it, right? Than having a t trying to manage uh, their clogging drip tape, right? It was really a, a really a, a no-brain uh, decision for them, right? And then Michael, your your photo of the uh, the filter connected to the center pivot uh, connector was that a uh, is that a customized connection? Does somebody sell the kit for that? You know what? Somewhat customized, right? This um, uh, the connection coming off the wellhead right here is pretty standard. Right, so I wouldn't be even surprised if the grower built this up. Steel pipe, a couple of bins in it, weld and a flange. All of this would be uh, built in the manufacturing facility per spec. So I would call it semi-custom. You turn in the drawing and it shows up this way. This is not something that you'd necessarily build out in the field, although you could. Uh, these are probably uh, galvanized fittings. And, and a lot of these you can get epoxy coated steel like you show the, uh, we show our chemigation valve here and our spin queen filters epoxy coated steel pros and cons of those coatings, but, uh, but in general, this would be prefabbed at a manufacturing facility, us or somebody else, um, and that way the grower's not trying to do this out in the field where it'd rust and break down. So that's why I said this is probably um, uh, the, the adapter fitting here. That's probably field made because the distributor just may not have known, right, what we need to do here, right, to kind of make this Z-pipe connection. But you could, in theory, build this as well as you, if you had the right dimensions. Yeah. Okay, and then, uh, you know, I see the value of uh, sizing up from 5 eighths tape to 7 eighths. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a big price difference when I, uh, when, I, when, I, when I make that change? It is in the linear feet per drip tape. You know, a drip tape roll basically costs the same, um, but you get more or less feet on the roll, right? So if it's a bigger diameter, you get less footage on the roll. So it's, uh, but, but the offset of that, so if you look at it foot per foot, the seven eighth is, is more, there's more material, right? So um, it's a more, it's more cost. But for these guys in this application, you know, let's just say you did a five eighths tape and your wellhead was right here. Like it's very pot, you could not have run, made this run from one end to the other. So you're gonna take a large diameter pipe, and a lay flat, run it up here and have to run a lay flat across here and make the extra fitting connections and another one here. So it, it, it's not that simple, right? And, and I think that that was really a, a big learning, um, uh, learning lesson that, that all of us, you know, worked through is, you know, where's that break point at? Besides just the ease of having one header line and one connect, you know, kind of making all that streamline, uh, but, you know, really kind of bringing in the design all together to see where those economics fit. Yeah, so it's, it's going to more than pay for itself when you, when you make that change. In this application, it was, it was a, a push on price or maybe even a savings to go the larger diameter. Yeah, okay, great, thank you. 
So kind of the last solution here that we've implemented really just last year and the year before. Some of these other filtration systems, our dealers have been building these for you know several years up there and, and kind of slowly rotating through fields, right? All like I said, all of them are a little bit different and they're all kind of you know doing these as needed through, as the fields rotate through. Um, but the monitoring control we've been doing with one grower, this will be a second year, and then another grower, this will be his first year. Um, and, and we could spend hours looking at how to read charts and graphs, and I would love to do that with anybody that wanted to spend that kind of time with me. This is probably the, the most fun that we do is get to show off some of our technology space. But, but let's just say for this example, uh, blue is wet and, and this red line down here is dry, right? Let's talk about those parameters. And we want to stay between too wet and too dry. This is live data that I pulled like Wednesday, so a couple of days ago, of uh, this growers. And this, this is a real picture that was put in by the dealer this, this week, really small transplants here. I mean, this is the live data off this site. Um, and you can see here where he has irrigated one, two, three, four, five, six times. This is a pressure sensor. So we can see how many hours and kind of figure out that application and what he, what he needs to do. And you can also see the moisture level reacting quickly. This is the guy that we've worked with two years. This is, I believe, uh, remember that's like a Friday he irrigated and over the weekend it dried down really quickly. What we're looking for is these stair steps in this data right here. The flat part is at night when the plants go to sleep and they wake up during the day, the transpiration increases, and they take a big gulp of water. You can really start seeing a stair step here over the weekend where we didn't see so much over here the week prior. These plants are starting to mature. So really good data. Because it was our second year with us, he kind of already trusted our, our, our wet and dry lines, even though we probably were refining them a little bit. We were pretty confident in where we we're going to be. And he irrigated, right? This, this is great, right? He got down the red side. He looked at it on Sunday night or Monday morning and said, man, I need to irrigate. And he turned it on, and he did that, and he brought it above that red line and back in here into the good space. So, so this is a great thing here to try to answer that last thing and try to bring in that last piece where they had this new crop rotation and they really just didn't have a great understanding of exactly what they need to be doing in terms of when do they need to run it and, and how much. So on Michael here, as we read this chart going down, it's just showing us the soil moisture at different levels in the soil. Is that correct? That's correct. And in, in this application, we'll look at it a little bit in, in a second here, but um, you've got uh, a watermelon. So we, we've got a probe, in this case, it's 24 inches in depth, right? So 24 inches, and we've got a probe, a sensor at 4, 8, 12, 16, 20, and 24. And what we've done here is we've said, okay, what is our root zone? What is a root zone? And we talk with the growers. I mean, these growers know a lot about plant physiology in their area, right? I mean, they really understand these crops and what they do. So, you know, we say, what, what kind of root zone? Uh, should we manage to? And in this case, they say, well, I want to manage the 4, 8, 12, and 16. So instead of just looking at one, you know, targeted area, we add, there's a couple of ways to do this, but the way that we do it here at Jane and, I, and the way I, I kind of like to, to do it is to add those together. So you kind of have this sum, <clears throat> excuse me, this sum number here of, uh, of all these root zones put together. Um, obviously, depending on the growing stage, this could lean you a little bit too wet or a little bit too dry, but it gives us a target root area for us to try to manage to rather than a specific, you know, kind of single line in the soil. So what this top line is showing here is the addition of the 4, 8, 12, and 16-inch levels, our root zone, if you will. Okay. 
if you kind of trans, you know, kind of make the next jump of, of what next with these growers, right? We feel like we've done a lot of good in the last couple of years, and these are great guys to work with. We really enjoyed it. They're really open. Uh, they they listen. They give feedback. They question what we say, which is great. You know, to say, hey, that that doesn't sound right, or explain that further. But what's next for them? And and I don't know if this is going to happen uh, anytime soon, but. Um, there's always a difference in knowing what to do and being able to a- execute the plan. And I think we see that a lot in our, in our Jane monitoring and control. We have all this data, but how do we get the knowledge out to the field and actually execute it here? And I think their next step is to automate these things. This is, this is again, real, real, real fields, one, two, three watermelon fields. These are not that close together, right? I mean, they're down the road. They're actually kind of close this year. They're, they, this particular producer, they're not too far, right? These are, you know, a couple of miles apart, but they could be, you know, 10 or 15 miles apart, right? And though, so in these cases, even though we've redone the filtration station, even though we've got the good drip tape, and even though we got the, auto, the monitoring that says this field up here in the northeast is good, this one's a little wet, this one's dry, we still have to move around to these places. We actually still have to physically go there and turn these pumps off and on. And if you look at this exact same example that I showed you here, one, two, three, four, five, six irrigation schedules, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven. So maybe I've got this extra one here, but regardless, you kind of see, you've got these same irrigation patterns here. This is our root depth, zero to 24. This is a tool that we offer in Jane Logic. It is a relative measurement tool so it's showing the change in soil moisture so what it saw after that irrigation cycle was a change in soil moisture at 24 inches we did that every single time that we irrigated this week or the last two weeks Uh, and we distinctly said in the previous slide that we don't want water at 24 inches we want water to stay between 4 and 16 inches that's what we want to do and every time we irrigated we went past that root zone um, so why did we do that? We knew better, and it's not a um, an issue with these growers not understanding what to do or not caring or not being a good producer. It's just physically all the other things they have to do. I, I had the luxury of working in the irrigation industry and selling these products, so it's my job to get up in the morning and look at this and figure out the actual time we need to do this. He has other things to do, right? He's got crops that he needs spraying. He's got, you know, um, payroll he has to do, all these different things. And so in this case, you know, when we talked to the grower, he basically called, he might have called the dealer and was like, yeah, I know I'm running it too long, right? I already know I'm running it too long. <laughs> and that's where the automation could come into effect here. And, and I don't know that it's the right thing for them specifically. I think there probably are some solutions they should consider. Um, but here, he, he knew he had run it too long, but just the ability to actually execute the perfect program. This is a really sandy soil, a really a new crop. And it looks like it acts a lot like some of the strawberry crops that I've tried to manage in Florida uh, the last couple of years where um, this every other day or three, three, four times a week irrigation schedule for two or three hours. It doesn't seem like a whole lot, but these sandy soils just can't hold it right. And we're just right past that root profile every time. And we're basically just spending extra money, right? Where ideally, Maybe we do, maybe three hours, you can see this case, he only ran a three-hour runtime. That's not a long time, but maybe the answer is three hours. He might have been dead on with three hours, but it might have been one hour three times a day or an hour and a half in the morning and an hour and a half in the afternoon, or maybe it's, a, maybe it's two hours every day instead of three hours every other day. Uh, and this physically from what they have to do is really hard for them to execute that program. They come by in the morning when they have time, and on the way you can see here, you know, he probably came on, on his way to lunch, right? 10:55, heading to lunch. He turns it on. 
goes, gets lunch, goes and checks on the guys out in the field, sets up the sprayer. You get the idea. And on his way back to the shop at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he turns it off, right? So um, I think that's really where, where we, you know, you talk about the, the next piece of technology that they really are already pretty tooled and set up for with their filtration and their, auto, you know, their Jane Logic boxes. There's really not a big step in terms of hardware cost um, into trying to automate this thing or put some sort of level of automation that could really help them execute the program we've been working on. Um, that's kind of what I have. Um, I, I think before we ask for some more questions, Richard, there's a couple of people I'd really like to thank. You know, more farms, um, Marty and Ryan Moore, I've been working with us for a long time. They're up here and, you know, allow us to take pictures and try stuff and, you know, stomp on things and really spend a lot of time on their farm. Um, Steve Droke is another grower up there that's really worked with us a lot. He's got some Jane Logic stuff up there. And uh, Alex Osborne and, and, and Chris Friedman, Alex has done uh, the lion's share of this design work on all these pump stations and everything, done a really nice job and worked with us with specifications and kind of moving around. And, and Chris Friedman is, there, is a salesperson up in that area that, you know, really got us on these farms. And he spends a lot of time working with them with the Jane Logics. And those guys – you know, I really want to appreciate we, this presentation would, would, would definitely not be um, possible without them and them being willing to share. So I appreciate them. Uh, my contact information is there if anybody has any specific questions. Um, I know these guys wouldn't mind us sharing more about it. Um, and then, you know, we'll open this up to questions if, if anybody has any. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Michael. That was fantastic. That uh, I'll tell you what, uh, you, uh, you really br brought in a few different factors I hadn't thought about. Um, one of the things that, uh, that, that I was thinking about, too, is, uh, you know, that's a sizable investment in that filtration, in your field, in your center pivot. I've got a lot of money in that field, right, a big investment. So relatively speaking, uh, soil moisture monitor and Jane Logic is a very small percentage of that total amount. Um, but I don't have a sense yet that 100% uh, of the growers are using Jane Logic uh, or or any you know soil moisture monitoring. Um, just wondering what your thoughts are on that, and uh, and and if we're starting to gain some momentum in 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 this area. All of those things, right? There are a small uh, portion of our producers in general, you know, we go across the U.S. that use um, any type of monitoring or, or pre you know, any type of monitoring or control system. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Um, there's a lot of levels to that. But I do think part of it that's made it allowed us to be successful here. It is a big, big expense um uh for the filtrate really let's just talk about the filtrate that's a big expense even the way that we did it you definitely could have spent a lot more money we really felt like we've got got them a lot of bang for their buck here right and, and really fit, hit hit exactly what they were asking for but it is a big expense even compared to some of the technology um but it it, it probably is a little bit easier you know to physically kind of wrap your hands around these filtration and some of these drip tape selections and i and i firmly believe that, that the dealer working through these other problems allowed them to be able to speak about the technology, which is a lot more abstract, right? As far as I'm going to do this and it's going to make this, or it's going to solve this exact problem. Right. And, uh, it's a very, um, it's a very new type of, um, I want to say a tool for them to use in a lot of ways. Right. It's, um, there's a, there's a lot of, products out there. They're always going to make them more money. I know there's uh, people have said, you know, about if, if I spend every, thing that was going to improve my yield 20 percent i'd be growing a thousand bushel of an acre corn right and and not that that's what we say with jane logic but there's a, there's a lot of those things out there that add these costs per per acre so um 
I think with these growers, we all, I will, I will say that none of these growers started with three sites, right? They all started with like a one site. Well, one of them had, had two, right? They kind of slowly moved in and we work with them very closely where we invested some time and money. They invested time and money. And that's really how we got this thing off the ground where we said, we'll help you learn this. But we had a dealer in place that helped to support us locally. You had me at the at the manufacturer level that was you know, dedicated to you know say, hey, we're going to spend this time on Friday. I'm going to call you. You better answer. And a grower that answered the phone, right? So it, it has to be all those three pieces together. Once we got that first year over over with, to where we could really see and grab some of those benefits and we could share it, uh, that's really where we went from you know one or two sites to now six sites up there in in, in two years. Um, but it really, you know, th- there's a lot of effort that goes in place and, and the growers are a little skeptical and I think rightly so, you know, let us prove our value. Yeah, that's what's so exciting about it to me, right, is there's really a lot of partnership here and everybody's pulling together for the same thing. And I don't think you're going to get, you know, success in this unless uh, you do have the good partnerships. So uh, it's really good that you were able to develop those partnerships. What are, what are some of your secrets to developing those partnerships? Time, right? Time. Um, it, it's um, uh, it is it is really you know why um, I spend a lot of time uh, on our you know our primary irrigation business, the drip tapes, the parts and pieces, and those type of things. And I really you know enjoy doing that and spending time with our dealers. But the technology is the is really the most exciting because they, those are your most loyal customers, right? You really kind of go through the trenches. It, it, um, one example that I always say is that you know the the growers a lot of times we tell them this technology and they they call and say what should i do and sometimes i say here's what you do and then oftentimes i say i don't know let's talk about it let's figure it out let's call some of our you know we have here at jane we have you know people that have seen way more charts and graphs and i have spent a lot more time we have a big resource of knowledge right and so you really get to you know leverage um our company and our expertise uh, the dealer network that we spend a lot of time developing um, but really, really the key uh, to building those relationships is just spending the time, which is challenging, right? Uh, we're all working hard. We're all, you know, moving fast. Um, but, you know, when, when we do that, when we ask for that time, um, I would say have something important to say, right? And the, the growers are going to listen to, you know, spend some time. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. You get rushed and you know, maybe you don't quite think through everything you're trying to do. But, you know, if, if you go to those growers and you have something valuable to show them, uh, you may have to ask a couple of times uh, because they're busy, right? These guys are really busy. They're working really hard. It's really hot where they're at, right? And so, you know, to earn that time, make sure you have something really valuable to share with them at that time. Yeah, I think that that's such a good advice, right? Uh, so, so often I would work with a sales rep, you know, in, in past, uh, past uh, career, and they would say, oh, I feel like I'm bugging the customer. And I would say, if you feel like you're bugging the customer, you are. But if you're bringing something of value, the customer can't see you enough. So, uh, so right. that, that's great advice. I really appreciate that. So uh, do you have any th- final thoughts here uh, for, uh, for uh, growers that are thinking about starting to use technology? Uh, any, any, any final thoughts for them, Michael? I, I think, yeah, I mean, if I had to say anything, you know, I, I would just say um, be open to anything, right? We started pretty simple with the first ask. You're trying to solve a pretty typical problem in a drip irrigation system. My tape is clogging up all the time. What's going on? Is it a tape problem? Is it what? What is it, right? And so that's a very, very common, uh, very common question. Don't if I'm a producer, I say don't be afraid to ask, right? We may not know the solution, um, it, but it may often be not what you're doing, right? It might just be a simple 
a simple selection guide. In this case, it was a little bit more, right? But it really moved into uh, a more of a system-wide, you know, producing uh, change. And that's not always the case. It may just be a shift in the product line. It may be a moving a, a valve to a different place. So, you know, I'm producer, so reach out to your local distribution. Uh, if you don't know who that is, you know, reach out to us. We'll put you in contact. We have dealers across this uh, across all the U.S. And, and, and put you in touch with multiple people that are really, really experienced and have a lot of design and field expertise. So um, I just say don't be afraid to ask. If there's something giving you a problem, pick up the phone and let's talk about it and see, um, see if we can't get it solved for you. Yeah. So uh, no, no surprise today, Michael. You were fantastic. Uh, really great information. Motivated me. I think I'm going to use my Saturday tomorrow to put some melons in my garden. Um, so good, yeah. uh, th thanks so much for that. I want to thank everybody for joining us today and uh, hope you all have a great weekend. And like Michael said, don't be afraid to check out our uh, other webinar series. We've got uh, a little over 20 of them loaded now over the last few months uh, from everything from uh, melons to drip irrigation for your garden. Uh, so take advantage of those. There's no charge to watch them. And uh, we certainly appreciate your time. And Michael, thanks again for coming on today and doing this today. Appreciate the opportunity, Richard. Okay. Thanks, everybody.